You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist Woolless Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. All those wonderful people of the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That pesky drug dealer, meth lab man or woman comes knocking on your door for that cup of sugar. Don't despair, the program is podcast. If those, you know, Extinction Rebellion people turn up and turn off your TV because of all the lies on it, don't despair, the program is podcast, 3cr.org.au. Anarchos without rulers. What's an anarchist society? It's a society which is based on the devolution, which is a fancy word for the sharing power and sharing wealth. And why those two principles? In order to create a society without rulers, we need to, as they say, Break down the hierarchies which allow individuals and small groups to put their interests before the interests of millions of people. The anarchist struggles, the struggle to share power and share wealth. And if you may not be an anarchist, you may not think you are, but if you're involved in that struggle, you are, whether you like it or not. Okay, let's move on. Today... I want to go through a bit of housekeeping because the end of the year is coming up and well, everybody else is getting ready for their uh, cruise and their uh, overseas holidays. We at the Anarchist Media Institute, we're getting, we're girdling our loins and getting into it. Now, there's a few things I'd like you to remind you about. The first one is the Francesco Fantine Day. Regular listeners of the program would know that um, on the, t- on the uh, Sunday nearest to Armistice Day, which is Monday the 11th this year, so it's Sunday the 10th, that we pay our respects to Francesco Fantine. Francesco Fantine was an anarchist, atheist, anti-fascist and anti-militarist who was murdered at Camp Love Day by fascists in 1942. Now, it's quite an interesting story, Francesco's story. He was a uh, woolen worker mill worker and sugarcane cutter here in Australia. He was a woolen worker in uh, Italy and uh, he was forced to leave the country in 1922 when Mussolini took power uh, in 1922 and he tried to eliminate his political enemies. Um, Francesco had been an active anarchist 
since he was a young boy coming from an anarchist family in northern Italy. When he came to Australia, he was horrified to see the inroads that fascism was making in Australian society in the 20s and 30s. It was a huge issue and how little Australian working people and Australians actually understood about the evils of fascism and the great growing support in Australia for fascism. And uh, him and a number of other Italian immigrants, uh, exiles and asylum seekers and refugees, you've heard those words again, asylum seekers and refugees, got together and physically confronted the growing anarchist uh, threat in this country and were involved in actions over 20 years to highlight what was occurring in Europe and the ramifications they had here for people in Australia. They made uh, good contacts with the trade union movement, especially a trades hall in Melbourne, and had a significant impact on uh, turning the tide against uh, fascism in this country. Now, when World War II broke out at the end of 1942, he was arrested as an enemy alien. Although he'd been in this country for 20 years, he was a refugee from fascism, from Mussolini. He was arrested as an enemy alien and he was incarcerated in a camp in Camp Loveday in South Australia uh, where there was about uh, 60 socialists and activists and anarchists and about 400 uh, fascists, Italian fascists. And while stooping down to get a drink of water, he was bludgeoned to death with a plank of wood. Now, at the end of World War II, the Italian community around the Shepparton area, Murchison, Shepparton, Rushworth, they set up a campaign to build a mausoleum at the Murchison Cemetery for all those Italians who had died in internment camps and prisoners of war camps around the country, and 220 bodies were repatriated to the cemetery at uh, Murchison and they're interned in this mausoleum, which is only opened on one morning a year, and that is the Sunday before... That is the Sunday before Armistice Day. That's right. Um, So about six years ago, we discovered that Francesca Sfantine bodies was interred in the mausoleum. And for the past six years, we've been uh, turning up at around 930 in the morning, to get into the mausoleum to pay our respects to Francesco Fantine. Uh, we then go through the uh, process of listening to a Roman Catholic Mass and Italian military authorities and the consul, you know, talk about the glory of uh, whatever. And at the end of their ceremonies, which finish at about 11.30, quarter to 12, we have a small ceremony to uh, honour Francesco Fantine in death. He lies in the same mausoleum as his enemies, the people he fought against all his life, the people who murdered him. So we go there to pay our respects. Uh, We usually uh, sit at the back in a respectful manner and have our own uh, little ceremony at the end of their ceremony. After that, we go down to the banks of the uh, Goulburn River and have a uh, picnic. So bring along food and drinks as much as you can. It's a great afternoon, great day. Uh, if you can get there early, it's good because you can actually get into the mausoleum 
uh, it closes down pretty quickly once the uh, their ceremony is uh, finished. Uh, uh, we usually have a small group come along, anywhere between a half a dozen to two dozen people. So you're all welcome. No entry fee, obviously. Turn up. Come and join us. You'll see us there. Come and join us and uh, pay our respects to Francesco Fantine, anarchist, activist, atheist, anti-fascist, anti-militarist, murdered at Camp Love Day for his political ideas in South Australia in 1942. It's very important that we remember those who have made the sacrifice, the supreme sacrifice, uh, to uh, highlight and warn others of the dangers of fascism. And as we're uh, in the second uh, decade of the 21st century, almost the third decade, we can actually see the rise and rides of fascist ideology again around the world. And I think uh, Francesco Fantine's sacrifice should not be forgotten. Now, just a few other things. Uh, as I said, uh, as I said, there'll be no lunch today. It's the AGM of public interest before corporate interests. Uh, it was um, uh, 7 p.m. at the Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, 110 Gray Street, East Melbourne. That's right, 110 Gray Street, East Melbourne. That's at 7 p.m. Now, we are continuing our public housing, everybody's business uh, rallies on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, the corner of Spring and Burke Street. And uh, on the 6th and on the 13th of November, it'll be between 5.30 and 6.30pm, uh, the rallies. And on the 20th and the 27th, it'll be between 1pm to 2pm. Change the dates a bit to get some fresh faces. Now, don't forget that on the 8th of December at 1pm, uh, there'll be a dinner, lunch, I should say, to support the West Papuan Rent Collective, as I keep saying, we have now found ourselves in a difficult situation with the West Papuan Rent Collective. This is a great chance to hear uh, West Papuan activists and uh, you can actually um, talk to them, hear them, talk about their struggle. They can actually, uh, you know, so put that down in your diary. That's Sunday, the 8th of December. And don't forget that on um, the 3rd of December we have Eureka Day and uh, Eureka Day we celebrate it's a Ballarat from uh, 4am to 10pm and I'll speak more about that next week and uh, don't forget the 20th of January which is Tanaminoa Mulbohina Commemoration Day so come along to that. So as I said there's a lot of things happening as we move along and the important thing is that uh, this gives us a sense of community, the fact that we can go to all these things. And it was great to see so many people at the public forum on the 2nd of November, which was held despite the heavy rain. Uh, there were many, many people there, a good a list of speakers, uh, a lot of contacts were made. And uh, sometimes in these forums, it's the contacts that are more important than the actual speakers and what's said because it brings people together from a diverse range of uh, geographical regions and places and ideas and age groups, and it uh, highlights that we are not a marginalised minority. We're much more than a marginalised minority, so uh, think about it. Now, today, we have big news. 
Because like you and me, I'm sick and tired about talking about the, you know, all the issues that uh, crowd us on a daily basis, which never seem to change, and I will do that later on in the program. But today we're going to talk about, well, I'm going to talk, you're going to listen and shout and maybe turn off the radio. I'm going to talk about an antidote. That's right, an antidote to the first to the 21st century four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's right, an antidote to increasing population growth, f- finite resources, a world economy dominated by corporate capitalism his major goal is to create ever-increasing profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. And that fourth horseman of the apocalypse, the one that nobody in Australia or very few people in Australia want to acknowledge, human-caused climate emergency. That's right, human-caused climate emergency. Increased greenhouse emissions and all that goes with it. So, I have noticed a lot of doom and gloom lately, a lot of doom and gloom. And in many regards, this doom and gloom is intrinsically interlinked with the type of economic and social system we have developed over the past three or four decades during the deregulation Privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution that's occurred across the world in the last four decades. And as we realise that the seeds that were sown have been sown on barren grounds and we see the increasing issues which confront humanity on a daily basis, not just in this country but around the world, people tend to do two things. I'd deny what's happening. And we see a significant portion of our leaders, no, your leaders, I don't have any leaders, sorry, your leaders, and the population basically bury their head in the sand and say, well, doesn't exist, I can't hear it, can't see it, can't smell it, doesn't exist. And there's another group which continues to jump up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, saying, we'll all be ruined, Hanrahan, we'll all be ruined. The end of the world is nigh. Well, I'm sure most of our listeners don't fall into either camp. Because to be an activist, you have to have hope. As I keep telling you, hope is the love child of desire and expectation, the desire that change will occur and the expectation that it will occur. And what we see in our world today is a lack of cultural hope, social hope, political hope, and the list goes on and on. Because people no longer desire change and those that desire change don't think it will occur for a variety of reasons, including the government girl at ABC, the corporate-dominated fake news outlets, and the list goes on and on. So what's the solution? Well, whether you live in China, which is a corporate capitalist state, which is a state capitalist state, or whether you live in in Australia, which is a corporate-dominated capitalist state, the issue is the same. Irrespective of the uh, terms that are used to describe 
these uh, states. And it was interesting to see our beloved Prime Minister, Mr Scott Morrison, kind of call Australia a liberal democracy and China a communist state. Now, the great thing about Mr Scott Morrison is being a marketing man, he knows how to market an idea, but unfortunately, as far as his intellectual capacity is concerned, he makes uh, Mr Donald Trump, the President of the US of A, look like a... uh, lifelong member of Mensa. And those of you who don't know what Mensa is, it's a little organisation which welcomes people on the top 2% of the percentiles as far as IQ is concerned. So, liberal democracy, we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's get him back to this antidote to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the 21st century apocalypse. Now, as regular listeners... To the program now is I don't subscribe to a classical class analysis anymore. I think we need to, uh, when we look at things, we need to analyse things realistically and we need to look at what's happening around us. And in Australia, I'll go through it again. There's the usual 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Then we have an 8 to 10% investment class that has done exceptionally well. And to be part of the investment class means that at the end of the day, once you've paid all your bills, that you've got disposable income to invest. And you can be a plumber, you can be an engineer, you can be an academic, you can be a gambler who's successful. If you've got disposable income, you're part of the investment class. And the great thing about being part of the investment class that over the last 40 years... They're the group that's done exceptionally well because of uh, legislation which has been passed through parliaments at the federal and state level which actually reward people for investing. You know, those prosperity gospel people, the happy clappers that uh, Mr Scott Morrison is a, a member of, they'd be very happy. They want to be part of the investment class. Health and wealth is God's gift to those who are, you know, marked for salvation. But that's another story. And then you've got the great bulk of workers, about 60%. They can either be self-employed, they can be, they can be contractors, they can be bodgy sham contractors, they can be wage earners. You know, they pay their taxes, pay their bills, maybe have a holiday once a year, look after their kids, muddle through life, up to their neck in debt, you know, spend all their life paying off a mortgage. But today it gets better. You actually hand over the mortgage to your kids when you, uh, dig your own grave by working too hard. And, um, you know, these are these honest, hard-working people which are considered to be losers in Australian society today because they're honest, they obey the law, they pay their taxes, they do the best they can for their, their dependents. And then you've got the third the of Australians who we all love to hate, you know, which uh, Mr Morrison, the unfunded empathy Prime Minister, you know, the old, the old happy clapper, prosperity, gospel Prime Minister who somehow thinks that if you haven't got wealth and health that it's uh, your fault and God's punishing you on this planet, you know, who we love to torture in the 21st century, you know, those people on old age pensions, new start allowance, social security benefits of any type, you know. The people we call, you know, we love to use the word who receive welfare, Obviously, welfare is a derogatory, demeaning term. People receive Social Security because they find themselves 
in an increasingly difficult situation. So this is Australian society in the 21st century, and if you can prove it otherwise to me, I'm happy to listen to you. But it's Australian society. So what is the common thread in all this? The common thread is having a wage, is having an income. That is the common thread. The investment class survives and prospers because of capital. They've got capital. They've got money which they can actually use to invest. Everybody else splutters through life. And if you lose your job, that 60% of Australians who've got work are in the paid workforce. You lose your job, well, basically before you know it, you're, you know, you're on the social security uh, travelator, escalator, whatever you'd like to call it. So having a job in a capitalist society is fundamental to your well-being and the well-being of your dependents. Fundamental. Because if you're on Social Security benefits, you're basically living on the bones of your ass. You don't have options except attempting to survive. And if you're a low-wage worker with a number of dependents, you find yourself in a similar situation. And if you're highly mortgaged up to your neck, you find yourself in a similar situation. Now, currently, we live in a country that has is primed, primed to take a leading role in the development of new technology, both in the mining sector and the farming sector. But what the last election taught us is that if as a community we are not willing to address the issue of what happens to people when they become unemployed, whether they work in the farming sector, whether they work in the mining sector, especially the coal sector. We will continue to face off each other and continue to be a divided society. And the great thing about Mr Morrison is he is an expert at dividing the nation I mean, these sectarian religious people are always the same. They're experts at dividing people. And if you can run on the line for the next two or three years, these people are going to take away your jobs. You'll have no jobs. You'll find yourself pauperised. Well, obviously, he's going to keep his political base together because his political base, the Liberal National Party political base, is based on fear. Fear. Fear of the other, fear of the refugee, fear of the asylum seeker, fear of Indigenous Australians, you know, claiming your backyard. Fear of, you know, your industry closing down and you're not having a job. And the list goes on and on. So in order to tackle this fear, in order to have a zero-sum game, We need an economic solution.
and all economic solutions have prices to pay. It doesn't happen overnight. As I said, I'm a secretary currently for the public interest before corporate interest. I think this will be the last day I'll be the secretary because we're AGM tonight. No, there's no coup. We're changing positions. You can relax. So, so what do we propose? What I propose, and other people propose, because, you know, this is not something that, you know, is specifically my idea. There's no such thing as an original idea in life. If you have one, you're ahead. I mean, if everybody had an original idea, you'd have eight, what, almost 7.5 billion original ideas. And what would we do with all those original ideas? But getting back to what we propose, we propose the concept of a universal living wage. A universal living wage for all Australians over the age of 18. A universal living wage. And for those under 18... Partial universal living wage, which goes to their primary caregivers till they turn 18. Now, this is not a radical concept. It's been tried in the past, as I've said before, it was tried during the Roman Empire to keep the plebeians at bay by providing them with, you know, bread and circuses. The dilemma is. If you've got a universal living wage and people know they are not going to fall into a hole if wholesale changes, new economic changes need to be made to address the issues that the four horsemen of the apocalypse raise on a daily basis in our society, we need to make radical changes in the way the economy is organised. Not blood in the streets radical change, not revolution. This is the type of thing you can actually introduce into a mixed economy, an economy which is based on private enterprise and public enterprise and cooperatives and collectives, you know, three-way type of stream. So how do you fund a universal living wage in Australia? Well, obviously... In one fell swoop, you get rid of the whole social security system and all the people that are involved in that. All those private organisations which are now supposedly providing services for the one-third of Australians on social security benefits who are enriching themselves at their expense, at the community's expense. And if you look at all the Royal Commissions and their results, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. You can see why. So you can fund it in a variety of ways. One is a 1% stock market turnover tax. If people are making money for investment, why shouldn't they return a little bit to the, the community? A 1% turnover tax could raise 20 to 30 to $40 billion per year. Now, businesses are able to claim GST, goods and services tax, is an expense. You can't claim a goods and services tax as an expense. And the great thing about the goods and services tax is the poorer you are, the greater the percentage of your income goes to the goods and services tax and the less you can actually, 
you know, use for your own survival. So if, say, you get a cut-off point of 5 million turnover and you say any business or corporation which uh, is uh, working in this country is not able to claim their goods and services uh, tax as an exemption, you could raise another 40 to 50 to $60 billion per year. Very simple. Another thing is we should seriously think about the mining sector actually nationalising, yes, the N-word, nationalising the mining sector. Because it was interesting to hear Mr Morrison address the Mining Council, I think it was in Queensland, last week. And he started off by saying, how good is the mining sector? How much, how good is the is the mining sector? Because obviously the mining sector is bringing in a bit of taxation revenue because of high prices. But how better could it be? I ask myself, how better could it be? If the returns which were made from the mining sector, all the returns came directly back to the Australian people. Instead of relying on, you know, peppercorn royalties and hoping that some of these transnational corporations actually pay 5% tax, if we had all the revenue as they do in Norway, which has only got 4.5 million people, placed in a future scheme, which now has over a trillion dollars in Norway, think of how all that money could actually be used to deal with the issues that we have to deal with today. Because the dilemma during the globalisation, privatisation, corporatisation... Um, deregulation revolution has been that wealth has flown upwards. It's it's, uh, defied gravity. Poor old Isaac Newton would would have been beside himself as he saw the apple go from the ground up into the tree, not from the tree onto the ground. I mean, this so-called revolution that's occurred over the last four decades has actually turned economics on, on its head. And when you've got governments which are able to use fear to divide the population and be elected and re-elected and, and oppositions which are elected and re-elected, which, you know, read from the same uh, hymn sheet, wealth is good, growth is good, profit is good, exploitation is good, <laughs> you realise that we have an issue. So the... A central element of this argument is very simple. If we want change, we can't afford to have sections, large sections of the population resisting that change, that necessary change, because their jobs and their livelihoods and their futures are intrinsically tied to that job. We need an economic system where wealth is held in common. And that economic system 
a step towards that system is a system based on a universal basic income. And although everybody receives the universal basic income, you can, you can devise your taxation system in such a way as to claw back that universal basic income from people who are earning money through investments or whatever. I mean, the Australian tax office is very good at clawing back income if you uh, look at what's happening today. So, food for thought. We don't need gloom and gloom. The sun is breaking through the gloom and gloom. As we move from winter to spring to summer, the sun becomes a more dominant feature of our uh, day-to-day lives. And it's the same with life. Human beings do not have to follow the mantra, march behind those who exercise power. We should not have to sacrifice ourselves and our children and their children in order to ensure that they continue to exercise power in society. And before you can create a social movement that can actually deal with these situations, you need to have answers. You need to have antidotes to the poison which we are fed on a daily basis. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. You can access the program. It's podcast. You go to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. You can download the podcast anytime you like. And if you like the podcast, send it to your enemies. If you don't like it, send it to your friends because obviously they'll have more sense than you have. But that's another story. Okay, let's move on. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au via the Community Radio Network, a network of community radio stations across this country, north to south, east to west, east to west, in every state, in every territory. Let's move on. Let's move on. It's been an interesting week, not just in terms of doom and gloom, but an interesting week in terms of people fighting back with ideas. Now, look, I've got a dream. Sorry, Martin Luther King. I have a dream. And my dream is very simple. A new constitution. I mean, it's amazing how few Australians know about the Australian constitution, but the Australian constitution is basically the document which regulates the relationship between people in our society. That's what it's about. And the Australian Constitution, as I've said many times before, is the only Western representative democracy constitution in the world that does not include human rights. So what, I hear you say, so what? Well, that basically means the government of the day, if it's majority in both houses of parliament, can pass any legislation it wants. 
There is no protection for the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power. Look at the situation in the United States of America, which we love to pillory, or some people love to pillory. But in many regards, the United States of America has many more constitutional protections from the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power than the Australian Constitution ever has. I mean, they've got whistleblower protection legislation where the person who blew the whistle on Mr Trump, which is leading to the current uh, Democrat-led impeachment inquiry, is guaranteed anonymity legally, although... Our friend is doing the best he can to expose the gentleman so they can put, or ladies, so they can put pressure on them. Freedom of speech. Protected in the, in the American Constitution, not protected in the Australian Constitution. There is no such thing as freedom of speech. The Australian High Court over a decade ago had to find an implied right to freedom of speech during the election period in the Australian Constitution, so elections could be held. The right to remove your labour, the right to strike. No right to strike in the Australian Constitution. We now have unions being legislated out of existence and we've seen all the negative effects of the fact that workers can't cooperatively organise and withdraw their labour, except during so-called, you know, a, uh, agreed you know, enterprise bargaining agreement periods, which is a lot of garbage. Anybody who's been involved in that garbage, so it's only good for the bureaucrats. And that if you involved in a strike, you can be an official strike, illegal strike, can be fined ten dollars a day, ten thousand dollars a day personally. And unions can be bankrupt. And then we've got legislation in this country which gives a member of the CFMEU, CFMEU, less rights than somebody's imported a uh, thousand kilograms of. Uh, cocaine into the country or heroin or methamphetamines because they've got a right to silence but if you're called up between you know before this building commission you've got no right to silence and then we've got so-called anti-terrorist legislation where you can be kind of plucked off the streets for a week to 10 days and interrogated and if you don't answer question you can be jailed for up to seven years because you may inadvertently have information which may assist the authorities with their inquiries and now we're seeing the Department of Home Affairs, Peter Dutton's, you know, uh, the quasi-dictator of this country, the man who sits behind Mr Morrison, you know, waiting for the opportunity to push him off his chair, who wants facial rec- recognition technology to be centralised in his department. And the list goes on and on. You've got the High Court ruling that uh, asylum seekers and refugees can be you know, detained offshore, they can be held indefinitely, that they've got no rights under the Australian Constitution. And the list goes on and on. So any change that occurs requires constitutional change. And constitutional change in Australia is almost impossible because of the mechanism via which which was created to create constitutional change. And the only people who can put a question to the Australian people in a, in a referendum is both houses of parliament, majority in both houses of parliament. So you can imagine what type of questions are put to the Australian people and how few questions are put to the Australian people. Even when it came to uh, marriage equality, it was a plebiscite, postal plebiscite, not a referendum. Because if something is incorporated in the Australian constitution... 
What that means is Parliament cannot legislate that away. Only the Australian people in a second referendum can actually remove those protections. And that's why over the last 40 years we, we have seen and continue to see governments at the state and federal level privatise everything that's nailed down and not nailed down. I'll give you an example. The Victorian government, it's orgy of, uh, you know, uh, expanding the road network and the public transport network, is finding itself a little bit short of money because of the housing downturn and the, and the decrease in stamp duty revenue. So what's it about to do? It's about to privatise 2,500 publicly owned properties and parcels of land across the state. Two and a half thousand. They're in the process of privatising Vic Roads. And we see the federal government in the process of privatising Centrelink. And we saw what happened to the old Commonwealth Employment Service, the Commonwealth Bank, the airports in this country, the uh, telecommunications, uh, water gas and energy companies, all essential infrastructure and the prices we are paying as a community for seeing all these assets privatised. So a new constitution would have a minimum of five or six things. One would be a universal basic living wage enshrined in the constitution so no government could take it away. The incorporation of corporations that provide essential services, their ownership to be go back to the public sector and their ownership be enshrined in the Australian Constitution. Another thing you should have in the Australian Constitution is the ability of the people themselves, as they do in Switzerland, to put questions up to the Australian people in citizens-initiated referendums, take the power away from Parliament, parliamentary representatives, whose major, major responsibilities of the party that pre-selects them, not to the people they represent, put it back in the hands of the Australian people through a citizens-initiated referendum. And then, obviously, you'd have a... Uh, Protections against the arbitrary exercise of state power in a constitution. And the list goes on and on. Because the current constitution is not even fit to be used as a fire starter. It's a useless document which is used to oppress people. When you think of the story of original and Torres Strait Islanders in this country how they were dispossessed, ignored, classed as fauna and flora until 1967 when the Commonwealth was given responsibility through a referendum you know, to, to assist with their affairs, you begin to understand how ludicrous the Australian Constitution is and how irrelevant it is in the 21st century. And as we see around the world with revolts in Lebanon and Chile and Argentina and Sudan, the big cry is new constitution. We start again. We're sick and tired of the same old bullshit. The difference in Australia is we keep feeding on the same old bullshit. Whether it comes out of the corporate-owned media, or the government guild at ABC, 
or social media. You know, I'll give you an example. Now, look, I like animals. I get the next person. In my life, I try to eat as little meat as possible and dairy products, you know. Coming from a poor rural background, you know, those things were luxury, so it's no big deal to remove meat and um, dairy products. But I've been amazed at the response, media response. I don't know about the community response, but the media response to the uh, knackery incidences where thoroughbred horses, you know, who are not up to it, can't win the Melbourne Cup, can't win a, you know, fifth division race, well, they get knackered. Realistic response, reasonable response. But I have another dream. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had the same response in the mass media to the climate emergency? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had the same intensity of response about the future of the seven of the seven hundred thousand children under sixteen living in this country who live in dire poverty, many of them homeless, many of them in the most sickening situations, who'll never get onto that first rung of the social elevator which we supposedly have in the, you know, fair go country. I mean, I'd like to see a response to that every day until that problem is addressed. Not some cynical, no child should live in poverty, you know, comment because we're always going to have poverty and all we're always children are going to be in poverty. So, you know, if you eat shit, you grow fat. You know that. I know that. I've eaten my fair share of shit over the years and I've seen my gut balloon. And it's the same intellectually and mentally. Because with the current PET scans, you can actually see the human brain is not some docile organ that doesn't change. It changes in response to what we do. So if you're a gamer, there are certain parts of your, ga- of your brain which will develop. It's a little bit like uh, the knowledge in England before the... The advent of the, uh, you know, uh, all these things we use now to get around. You know, the taxi drivers learnt and they had a certain part of their brain expanded. So if we're fed garbage every day of our lives, if we're told to worship at the altar of mammon, if we're told that you need to create ever-increasing profits irrespective of the costs to the community and the nation and the individual, if you're told constantly that we need to deregulate and remove all those protections which have protected us for so long, which so many people fought for over so many years, if we're told constantly the only way that we can get ahead as a nation is by allowing corporations, both Australian-owned and foreign-owned, to develop and profit from this country's mineral resources, if every time somebody opens their mouths, like uh, Extinction Rebellion or other groups which are involved in protest... They're kind of lampooned, marginalised, the list goes on and on. Well, obviously, we're going to develop a brain which is resistant to change. And there are antidotes. And the antidote is simple. 
We see it around the world. It wasn't people clicking their little buttons and surfing the net and playing with their apps, which is leading to change. It's people using that, those mechanisms to organise, but actually coming down on the streets and confronting authority. 266 citizens in Iraq shot dead over the last few weeks because they got the audacity to be protesting against ingrained corruption, a corrupt system which was developed as a result of the uh, invasion of the uh, willing. That was in 1998, and the list goes on and on. Shit in, shit out. It's very simple. Shit in, shit out. And if the same things go through your head, the same lambasting of minorities every day, the same marginalising people every day, creating artificial divisions, picking on defenceless people, you know, in the mass media and then waiting to see them whether they're going to commit suicide or not, as we've just seen recently in the last week or so. And the list goes on and on. It's all about entertainment, isn't it? And that entertainment is based on the concept of making a buck at the end of the day. I have a dream. I have a dream. You have a dream. We all have dreams. But we can make dreams a reality, and we make dreams reality by working together, by getting involved in activities. And if you don't like what I'm talking about, there's always thing, other things you can find around the planet because that's how dreams become reality. Hard work. Not hard work to make a buck by exploiting somebody else's labour. Not working hard to make a profit for somebody who's your boss. Not hard work by putting your hard-earned money in investments and seeing them whittled away and lost fees and charges and, you know, bad business decisions. But hard work in terms of changing ideas in society. Hard work in terms of trying to mend the artificially created divisions. And if there's one thing that these revolts around the world are teaching us, that artificially created divisions can be overcome because of economic pressures. Because we all need to eat, we all need personal security, we all need a roof over our head. It doesn't matter who we are. We need those basic things as a human being. And if those basic necessities have been incorporated into an economic system which makes profits for other by exploiting those basic needs, the time for change has come. Because the sun is breaking through the doom and gloom. It's not just doom and gloom. I mean, I could sit here and give you a litany of doom and gloom. I could talk about the the nature of the exploitation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. I could talk about asylum seekers and refugees. I could talk about you know, the coal industry. I could talk about the climate emergency. I could talk about this and that. But ultimately, it's hope, which is the aphrodisiac of change. Hope. 
the desire that change must occur and the, and the desire that it will occur. And the trouble is today in our political, social, cultural interactions, there's no hope. And the hope is there, and the hope basically lies in our hands. So if there, hopefully there's one thing this program has done, it's encouraged you to uh, become a little bit more active, because if you don't, it's more of the same next week. And the week after, and the week after, and the week after, until they put you in a hole or cremate you. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Don't forget Murchison this Sunday, 10am to about 2pm. If you get there early, you can go into the uh, mausoleum. Have a look at the crypt, pay your respects to Francesco Fantine. Then about midday, picnic lunch by the Goldburn River. Bring your own food and drinks. It's about 150 k's, 130 k's from uh, Melbourne CBD. It's not that far away. Get a few friends, jump into a car. You can actually get a train to East Murchison Railway Station about two hours from the uh, uh, Southern Cross Station and then you've got to walk about five k's. Good walk. The sun will be out. If not, you'll need an umbrella. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. You can leave pleasant messages on 0439 395 489. No point sending unpleasant messages. Not that I get them often. They just get deleted. 04, I don't cry. 0439 395 489. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can join public interest before corporate interest by downloading the application form. That's right. Pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can um, look at my YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. There I'll be in all my glory somewhere in the city talking about an important issue for the week. Haven't decided what we're going to do today, but we will do something today. You can go to Facebook pages to see what's going on. Joseph Toscana or Toscana for the Public. Uh, you can go to uh, Defend and Extend Public Housing or Public Housing Everybody's Business. So these are a few of the things that I'm personally involved in. And don't forget Eureka on Tuesday, the 3rd of December, 165th anniversary of the Eureka Rebellion. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is a podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Justin Oscano, and hopefully I'll be back in a week's time. But in the interim, YouTube channel, Facebook pages, you name it, it's there, Radical Australia, 3cr.org.au. It's all there, up to you. You can consume or you can get off your chair, rest your little click finger and get out into the real world and make some real changes. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Boys
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.